Good morning, Kendall. Good morning. Thursday. One of these days, I'm going to beat you to the punch and I'll go first. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, I'll, I should, uh, yeah, next time I'll let you, you say the good morning. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. So I'm live from an undisclosed Florida location right now. Yeah. I could have had you down here. I almost had you down here. Yeah. You have no excuse. You have no excuse. These days, I'm just really enjoying my uh, my place, my spot in Kentucky. So I don't know. It's hard to get me to hard to get me to leave. I know. I, I'm enjoying following along your your garden, the journey of your garden. Yes, I do have a garden. It's uh, it's, it's going pretty well. I have a, a little bit of a mole problem, um, but he hasn't been too destructive yet. I'll say, let's see. I have some tomatoes. The tomatoes look really good. The squash nice. and the zucchini, those are that's coming along well. The lettuce, I think lettuce must be like a weed, like an actual weed, because that thing is growing like that shit's growing like crazy. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is wild. So I'll be eating salads for days in, the, in about a month from now. There you go. I love it. I mean, well, the last time I talked to you about the mole, and maybe there was a family of moles, but I thought you you might've gotten rid of him or killed him. Or well, scared him. right. So I'll tell the story. Cause this is a funny story about maybe three weeks ago or a month ago, I realized there was a mole in my garden and I was like, Oh man. And so every time that I walk out of my house, I'll like check on my garden and see if like, I'm like checking really, I'm looking for the mole. Right. And I walk by about three weeks ago and I see, I can see the mole like digging underground because you you know like moles have those little like trails and right. i can see him like at the head of the trail and the ground <laughs> is like moving up and i'm like oh my gosh he's right there and so i like run to my shed grab my shovel and i like i'm like all right here we go we're gonna try to kill him <laughs> this is kind of this is kind of brutal but anyway I, I like, I like stand there, wait for him to move a little bit. And then I, I slam the shovel into the ground and the shovel goes deep. Okay. And I'm like, oh man, that was good. I think I got him. I pull the shovel up and there's nothing there, like no blood or anything. And so I'm like, man, maybe I didn't get him. Uh, and I ended up not getting him. Uh, so he's still, he's still there. <laughs> he got away. Yeah. He got away. Wow. That's the most. Hopefully, hopefully you can find him. Well, yeah, this week's been big. I mean, between, so what we're going to talk about today, just a little tease, is uh, based off of a series that Robert Breedlove did on the What Is Money show. I guess really it was like, it's been out for a while now. It's like, it started in November of last year and ended up, uh, ended early this year, January. So there was that. I orange pilled a um, a Senate staffer yesterday over coffee down down here in Florida um she's on vacation and we well she went to high school with my wife so that's how i know her so that was kind of fun and then yesterday more to more to come on this but uh got to talk to the founder of coinbooks so that was kind of which is pretty much the quickbooks integration for crypto accounting so we'll see where that goes yeah kindle and i were kindle and i were like firing off texts at each other back and forth like for what like an hour yesterday talking back back and forth about is this is this product going to make it is there something already out there so well, yeah dude, I mean, if the, nothing else though that kid was impressive because he's he is a kid he's like 21 maybe 22 years old now so um is he uh is he a developer what's his background yeah he's i mean i think he's just like a yeah he's a developer um but also just like an absolute go-getter and pretty much has put himself in a position of like he either has to have something work out or he is not going to survive um because he's yeah he's not like working another job or anything like that he's going all in on this stuff like in the in the forbes write-up i was reading about him he was um like he was literally just living off of like competition money where he would i guess submit a project in a competition and then would win and would win some money from that. And that's how he like would pay for food <laughs> and bills and stuff. So if nothing else, I got to tip my hat to him. He's, he's, uh, he's young and hungry and he's a go-getter. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's definitely impressive. And un- undoubtedly, there's going to be a, a massive space for crypto accounting. So, yeah. and he's, ba- he's backed by Y Combinator. So, he's oh, got, yeah, that too. Yeah, he's, that got the, cool. he's got the seal of approval. So, it'll, it'll be successful. I, I don't think I would make a good venture capitalist investor because I'm too skeptical of things. I think I've, I think I would make a good bond investor. You know, bond investors are supposed to be like, oh, I don't know about this. Whereas venture capitalists are supposed to be like, oh, this is the next best thing. You know, I, I don't think I would make a fixed good income, dude. I would, market I would not want to be in right now. Yeah, well, I wouldn't. Mean, well, I wouldn't want to be a dumb person in that market. You know, but if you're smart, <laughs> that would be my issue. <laughs> <laughs> That would be one of my main issues. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Cool. Well, um, let's, yeah, let's get into it. Right. You give us an intro because you sent me this podcast and then you and that subsequently melted my brain. So you you kind of explain how did you hear about Jeff Snyder? Um, yeah. Start us there. All right. So I've been following Jeff Snyder for for a while and I knew he was on the What Is Money show. Um, like you said, it's, it's been a few months. Breedlove sometimes pushes out so much content that sometimes I just like, I actually don't even listen to most of those, but same. I listened of, to the sailor series and the booth series. And then I was, and then I stopped cause it's too much. It's just but a then, lot, man. It's just a lot of information. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've been following Snyder for maybe like a year and he's always been like, um, an investor, He's a, he's a researcher at an, an investment firm. He's always given like information that I've, that I've found difficult to follow. Like, I, like, I don't know some people it's like, is this person super high level and I'm like a newbie or is, are they just basically like snake oil salesmen and like, they're, they're just speaking mumbo jumbo trying to get me to do something. Yeah. And so you know, you never really know until you like, until you, you it takes time. Anyway, Jeff, I think is just super high level and, uh, <clears throat> I find his perspective to be extremely pragmatic and realistic. Uh, so, so yeah, so he's Jeff, pretty, he's pretty against the grain. Um, like he's not a big corner. I think we should make sure that we, that we put that out there too. Like he is, he's just, um, I mean, I think he would describe himself as a, euro dollar expert which we will that's what the whole deep dive is going to be about what is what does that even mean but he's uh have you finished it have you uh gotten all the way through it are you still on oh i haven't even i haven't even actually finished i'm on episode five um so but i mean you texted me and you were like do they ever get to bitcoin and i was pretty much like not really i mean the comments made about bitcoin were not super bullish from his perspective, but that's fine. I mean, at the end of the day, we need to expose ourselves to all kinds of ideas. I mean, that's what, that's what education is about and hearing someone else's perspective and then deciding, you know, how, how that's going to play into how you think. Yeah, exactly. You, you want to challenge your, your understandings. That's yes. you, you actually want to be proven wrong. That's what, if you're in the pursuit of truth, Yes. the pursuit of truth is to be the pursuit of being proven wrong. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, Jeff is very humbling to the Bitcoiners and you can hear that in the, in the, in the episodes with Breedlove. Breedlove's like, he's really trying to, he's really trying to reconcile. He's like, oh, he's like, he's like, I, you're, you sound so right, but it's not what I think. Um, but, um, yeah, so, so Jeff focuses on, focuses a lot on something called, the euro dollar and um before we get like into the weeds here i want to add some disclaimers um i don't really know anything about the euro dollar other than what i've learned over the past week um i think same same with you jordan so by no means are we experts and like in a way i think this is going to be a real challenge (laughs) to 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 talk about because like we don't really we don't have a lot of information <clears throat> mm-hmm. but 
I this is feel- a deep rabbit hole is what I've learned too. So it's like, we can start here today. Yeah. Like I don't, there's no reason to, to, to try. I don't even know if I'm going to go further, but like um, it's, it's worthy of, of sharing information with anybody who wants to listen. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're not experts. Also, I'll say it like it, this topic really makes in a way this topic is unsettling and uh, it's unfortunate. Like me and Jordan were actually talking before the episode. We we're like, do we even want to talk about this? Because like it may be, it, it's just sort of unsettling, but, um, and it's like a little tin foil hattie. Um, but, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. So, all right, we can get into it. Is there anything else that you want to preface before we dive into it? No, I think that's all the attorneys told us to say. So I think we're good. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, so yeah, you want to start out? I mean, we can kind of just start with like the definition of a Euro dollar is a U.S. dollar did not like us dollar denominated deposit in a bank outside of the united states right i mean that's like at least just a baseline definition for people to understand yeah but like what does that mean right so that is the definition but um so a euro dollar is not a dollar but it is it's actually a, a currency derivative of a dollar so in the same way that fiat used to be a derivative of gold when we were on sort of like the gold standard, um, we're not really that way anymore. But in that same relationship, a euro dollar is a derivative of a dollar. Um, and then it's like, well, can you say that it's backed by dollars? Well, not, not really, but like in sort of a roundabout way it is. Um, but okay. See, this is the difficult part about this topic is like, there's just like a ton of hand wavy, like, well, sort of, it's like, uh, I don't know. Well, that's Uh, because there's no, so one of the main things that we took away, like, is there's absolutely no transparency in this there. We don't really know how many Euro dollars are floating out there. Um, And, and (laughs) I mean, what, what Jeff Snyder pretty much puts out there is that the Euro dollar market is what is controlling what actually happens to our economy. And then, but the, and then the Fed, the Federal Reserve is actually not printing any money. They are just the marketing wing where they're essentially just trying to, they're trying to put on a good face and then hope that the Euro dollar does what like achieves the goals that it sets out. If that make, does that make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. So there, there's a lot to unpack there. But <laughs> your your framing of the Fed as the marketing wing is 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 very spot on. Um, but okay, let's go back to fundamentals. Yeah. The the euro dollar is it's essentially dollars in offshore bank accounts, and like, what does that mean? Okay, well, see the if you like. If you have a ton of money, you you will find a way to off, offshore it because you don't want to pay taxes. There's all sorts of regulatory reasons to do it. It's it's like regulatory arbitrage, right? So, like if you are a, a insanely wealthy person um, in 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 liquid assets, at least you know, like in the, in the case of Elon Musk, like his wealth is tied up in equity, and so it's not the same thing. But if you are a wealthy person in liquid assets, you're you it's in your best interest to find ways to offshore your, your accounts. In fact, like, for example, I, as I understand it, Apple, Apple is technically based in like Ireland or something, or they do most of their finances in Ireland. And that's because there is a regulatory arbitrage there for them to capture. Now, Apple is not in an offshore account, Euro, Euro dollar account, but I'm just proving a point that there's, there's an incentive there for if you're wealthy to offshore your money. And what the euro dollar is, is the euro dollar is functionally, is, is sort of like the purest form of what we think a fiat currency is, which is just a, uh, 
it's just a paper backing with nothing behind it. And, and the only thing that's behind it is like the ability to repay your, your credit. Um, and so like Jeff Snyder gives this example several times in that series about you can basically open a Euro dollar or sorry, like a, yeah, an offshore bank account in the Cayman islands and then get a line of credit from Goldman Sachs, let's say, or any wall street bank don't have to call it Goldman Sachs specifically, but, um, and now you sort of have like this backing, which is your line of credit from, from wall street and you can leverage up. So you can create a whole bunch of Euro dollars just out of thin air. Like you can just go to your balance sheet. It's an, it's an accounting trick. Like it's just a bunch of accounting. You go to your balance sheet, you say, okay, we, we currently have a hundred million Euro dollars on our balance sheet. And we can say that because we have $10 million line of credit from wall street. And it's, so there's like a leverage play there. Um, so, all right. My head is already spinning. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you're getting the point here though. Right. Which is that like, it's, it's an offshore dollar derivative currency that is, um, it's not subject to any regulation like that. I think that's the main point is that they can, people can go outside of the United States and essentially open up a U.S. bank account, like a bank, quote unquote, but have it be, have it escape all the regular regulations that a normal bank. Yeah. And and in doing so, you get this like shadowy, like component, which is that there's no transparency. And so then it's like, well, we don't even know how many Euro dollars are even out there because I mean, really, this is like the ultimate this. Okay. I'm going to try to frame something. I'm going to try to frame this up. Really, this is like the ultimate um, libertarian free markets dream, which is that these things exist outside of government regulation. And um, yeah, it's the, the total, it's totally the wild west. I mean, my understanding is the euro dollar market is larger than the US treasury market, which it's highly accepted that the US treasury market is the most liquid market in the world. Now, you can't take my word on that. I don't, I'm just a dumb software engineer, but that's my understanding. <laughs> and so what that means is that <clears throat> to, to Jordan's point, people, you know, like in today's, in today's world, people are so fixated on the federal reserve, federal reserve, federal reserve. And I think that's a good thing. Cause it's, it's a window into new education, but really the federal reserve is peanuts compared to this Euro dollar market. And so the fed can like, jawbone all they want and they can hike rates all around but you know really even them hiking rates is not doing a ton uh compared to this euro dollar market so in a way whenever you hear the federal reserve making policy claims like we're going to do this we're going to do that um through this through this framing of this euro dollar system you can actually think of them not as um, like being the cause of, of uh, market movements, but, but more like they are setting expectations for what they think the euro dollar is going to do. It's mm-hmm. so, so they, they have this like public image of like, we are going to do this, but like when in reality, it might actually be, we think the euro dollar is going to do this. And so that's what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest issue is like, is that there's just no, we have no, we have no idea what's going on. Definitely. We don't, but what's even scarier is the people who are supposed to be in charge of all this. They have no idea what's going on. It was one of his like major points. Yeah. Especially and, back in, back in the fifties, like, cause he, it's a really good series. I recommend people listen to it. Cause, uh, there's a lot of historical information in there that I think is really useful. So I'll link that in the show notes. Um, but he talks about in the fifties, like for, for, for a long time, for, I mean, I don't know, for like 50 years or more, the U S government was basically okay with this Euro dollar existing because they were like, well, we don't even really know how to work it anyway. 
And so mm-hmm. we're just kind of going to let it do its thing. Like we don't even know how, we don't know how to do it anyway. So like, we're just going to let it exist. Um, uh, and so it did, yeah, it, it sort of existed in the shadowy state. You know, if I'm putting my tinfoil hat on here for a moment, you know, bear with me. Um, what I think could be happening and maybe Jeff gets to this in later episodes. I don't know. What I think could be happening since 2020 is a sort of like quasi takeover by central banks. So it could be that central banks are finally fed up with, with this Euro dollar market, which we should say most of the global financial crisis was primarily driven by people being uh, irresponsible in this Euro dollar market. Like that was people talk about like wall street and the banks and blah, blah, blah. Like really it's these, it's these offshore bank banks that, uh, that, that really cause a lot of the issues. So anyway, so my tinfoil hat, so you can, you can imagine that, uh, regulators are fed up with this system because like it just keeps breaking and like, and so they're like, well, maybe we can build a better system. And so what could have happened over the past two years is an attempted takeover by central banks to basically flush out the Euro dollar market. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have no reason to believe that that happened or that that existed. But I, when I think about the, the incentive structures and the political dynamics, I think that that would make sense that there's, it just makes sense that there's going to be a gradual shift away from this like wild west libertarian dream of the euro market towards like a more regulated central banking model. And, uh, and I think, well, I don't know. I can talk about some more specifics there, but I'll pause. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the main thing that I think we're, we're trying to get across is like, just start start with where we were back on a gold standard where every time you printed a dollar you had to have some amount of gold backing it then we just then we've pretty much come to this new it's like this new system of like it's a decentralized it is decentralized because like these that's what's funny is it is it is decentralized yeah like yeah and and these banks can print all the all the banks can collectively print as much as print. And I'm using that in scare quotes. Like they're not even actually, these are all just dig- digits. Like that's the main thing too. This is the Euro dollar came out of um, the invention of the internet. And so it's all, this is all just a ledger. It's a decentralized ledger, just like, well, similar, I should say to Bitcoin. Um, but obviously the main difference is that one, there's no transparency in the Euro dollar market. Um, and two, there's no check on supply. Like the supply can essentially be, it is infinity. I mean, it can go yeah, as totally. high they, as, as they, they can, they can, le- they can leverage up as to any, to any degree that they want. And I would say that it's not that it's like a decentralized ledger. It's more that it's like a, a decentralized system of ledgers. And so each bank is like their own ledger, right? And yeah. so they, they have full autonomy and to your point, like they can, they can, uh, yeah, they can control the supply. I don't know, man. It's crazy stuff. It's like tinfoil hat, neck beard stuff, but I, it totally, it totally adds up. Like, I don't understand it. I think that there's probably ways to, to look at the data and to do some more information. I'm sure that there are. Jeff seems like a smart guy. Um, but see, like one of the things that I don't, understand is at some point there has to be some sort of like integration between euro dollars and like dollars or other currencies so like is there an exchange mechanism or like or is this something that totally exists outside the realm of fx like foreign exchange reserves i don't know i think i think this is it's so shadowy i don't even like they don't how he was describing it is like when you look, and I think this is why they did away with the M2 curve or the M2 money supply curve. Yeah. It's like, they don't have any way to legitimately measure what's going on. So they just had to throw up their hands and say, we don't know. And we're, 
and I don't know if this is exactly why they discontinued that at the St. Louis Fed, but you know that that chart. But I've got to I've got to think it played some role because there's just, I mean, put yourself in their shoes and like in the Federal Reserve, like um, the people who are trying to you know meet their mandates of full unemployment and stable prices. It's like we can't even we have no way to look into this, and we have no leverage on these people because they're outside of the U.S. They're outside of you know, they're outside of our, our regulate regulation, right? We it's outside of the jurisdiction. We can't do anything about it. And so, cause my understanding is like the money can still flow into the, into the U S economy, the same as it would if the fed issued new U S dollars. Right. Yeah. I don't know how it works. Like mechanically, that's, that's what, that's, what's like the black box to me. It seems okay. to me, my guess, my understanding based off of what I've deduced is that it's like, this is a system of credit. And so mm-hmm. um, I don't even know if there are, it's like credit and financialization. And so I don't know if there even are, like, it's not like you go to, um, you know, so call, name some country in South America that produces a commodity. I don't know if you go to this commodity producer and you're like, we're going to extend a line of credit of Euro dollars. I don't even know if there is, integrations into the real economy with a zero I think it more has to do with i think it more has to do with like the banks lending the money back and forth to each other like those overnight loans um where they are essentially you know covering covering something for another bank at an interest rate as long as because that's what they talked about a lot too is like someone you know i come to you and you don't know me kendall and i ask you for a loan you know at the beginning, you would, you don't know me. So you're like, I want to, you have to put up some collateral, right? So I need to give you something real, or at least the, the right to something real. And then you'll give me the loan. Whereas eventually these banks got so, you know, they were so well versed with each other. They stopped doing the, all the, they pretty much were like, we trust you. Like we know you're good for it kind of thing. And I think the euro dollar played a role in making sure that 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 money was actually sent back over if that makes sense yeah i think i think you're right. i think it's like it's more like interbank money yeah. it's like not money that could ever exists outside the like circular economy of banks and financial providers or whatever so yeah. cuz everything that he's talking about is is in the realm i think of commercial banks Right. Yeah. Cause it's like, well, and if you just think about like, there's this, like, there's a divide between like the real economy, which is like commodity producers, manufacturers, things like this. That's like one side of the divide. And then on the other side of the divide is this whole system of financialization yeah. and like people in the real economy, Myerson, like who is accepting payment in euro dollars? I don't think I've never heard of anybody accepting payment in euro dollars. Maybe there are though. I don't know, but let's just, let's just assume for the sake of argument that, that that's not the case, right? So people in the real economy, they want dollars or other foreign exchange currency, or they want treasuries or they want some sort of bond instrument. They want like the things that you, we hear about all the time. Right. And so you can imagine that if they want, if those are, if they don't accept Euro dollars, what the banks can do is the banks do have a reserve of, of assets that are not Euro dollars. Like they're going to have these commercial banks are going to have treasuries. They're going to have dollars. They're going to have, you know, you name it. But, um, but that supply of that reserves is probably relatively small. Right. And so like this whole banking system is set up such that they're, they're coordinate, they're cross coordinating like a bunch of credit to try and deploy those actual reserves into the real economy. And, and the way that they do that is through this Euro dollar system. And so like the Euro dollar is like the interbank currency that helps um, the free market try to discover where to deploy those, you know, quote, real assets into the real economy right i don't know that's that's a i just came up with that right now it kind of makes sense mm-hmm. to me <laughs> yeah well i mean i can't 
kind of in that vein, let's, let's kind of talk a little bit about, because I know the elasticity conversation that happened pretty early on in the series. So just what you're kind of getting at when you're talking about pumping money into the real economy, you, you are talking about, you know, the elasticity of money. And this is like, I would say the major hang up that, um, that Jeff has with Bitcoin. Um, you know, Bitcoin is a fixed supply and uh, eventually the supply, the new supply will run out and we'll only be, if, assuming we're on a Bitcoin standard, we would be relying upon holders to pretty much put liquidity into the market when it's needed and pull it back out when it's not needed. Um, essentially playing the role of what the Fed supposedly does right now, right? <laughs> Which again, all this stuff has been like turned on its head for us in the past week. <laughs> so thanks a lot, Jeff. Um, thanks, Jeff, yeah. But uh, it's an interesting concept that, you know, I'd heard money, you know, elasticity. I'd heard of that before. And, you know, people talk about it in terms of like, oh, it's like a rubber band where you pull it out and you let it contract back. Um, but it's a it's a very important idea in, in the broader market. Um, and right now, how it works is, you know, the centralized authority helps helps pretty much move money where in, in like what they call dry spots. So essentially in the economy and it's, just, you know, it's different, different um, industries or whatever might need loans or, um, or just the money needs to flow over there. Hopefully I'm making sense where, and if it, and there's just this, the, well, maybe you take it over, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's difficult to explain, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I followed what you're saying, but I don't know if other people did. The, the, hmm, yeah, like, I don't think, you know, like the normal person probably doesn't realize this, but there's like this huge market of like, of extremely short-term credit that like, that the, the banks sort of operate, right? And so, like like almost like a flash loan like it's like 24 hours and we'll pay you one percent uh and we'll pay we'll pay it back within 24 hours um yeah because like i don't know man they they do go they do i do think that the the conversation in the first episode where they talk about um elastic versus fixed monetary policies uh is very interesting and it's it's sort of earth-shattering because like, you know, the Bitcoiners are very fixated on like fixed supply. That's the ultimate, uh, ultimate truth. Here's my, my like intuition. I think that, I think that fixed supply is ideal, but I think it's like extremely futuristic. I think that the degree of, of like evolution of, uh, how do I say this evolution of like cultural norms needs to get needs to evolve a lot before we can realistically make a fixed supply money work. Cause like the elastic, like elastic money supplies are useful because some market participants are inherently irrational. I'm sure that everybody knows somebody in their life that is like an irrational person. Okay. And <laughs> uh, maybe they, they just make decisions based on no, no rational reason. Let's put it that way. Now imagine that that person is worth a hundred million dollars. <laughs> and like, see, the problem is if you have irrational actors, then um, they can intentionally or not, money can be used like as a weapon either defensively or offensively and um like irrational actors we'll call them like the blissfully ignorant individuals who don't realize that they're using their their money as a weapon are causing harm on other people right other parts of the system and so if you can intelligently spot that then you can uh manipulate the, mo the money supply to, to solve that problem now. Okay. I mean, like that all sounds like a pipe dream, but it, cause then it's like, well, who, who gets to decide yeah. 
where the money goes like and how does that work like who is the arbiter of that um see like like everything else in this life i hate to say it i've said it i've said it recently i know the truth is like somewhere in the middle right like the pragmatic truth is somewhere in the middle in that you probably need some sort of monetary monetary system that is fixed supply and then you need some sort of monetary system that is elastic supply and then you need, you need like the reflexivity between the two in order to, to reach the optimal outcome um so yeah i think that's the main thing that i'm taking away from this is like we can have this fiat scheme um and that will provide that will provide the opportunity for elasticity and essentially like money being spread out over the economy um, to make sure that the market is, is being as efficient as it can be. Cause that's what his, you know, Jeff's main point is like one, this is extremely dynamic. Like the reason why this conversation is confusing, I'm sure to some people is because the entire market is extremely confusing and dynamic and there's no one like oh if we just did this one thing then it all it all fixes yeah, itself right. and, and, <laughs> and we never have any market downturns like one of his main points is like even if we set set up a market for you know with the best fundamentals the market will still because people are irrational the market will be irrational at some points and you know, we'll have, we'll go through these cycles of ups and downs. Right. But I think what Breedlove gets into is well on having at least a fixed supply base money out there, like a Bitcoin, those, those ups and downs are less drastic, you know, me meaning that like, we don't have as many 1929 episodes, right. We have more you know, maybe more um, ones like maybe the 1907 is a good example because it wasn't crazy. Yeah, because um, he he uses the he uses the example of like the forest fire. I forget like the exact terminology here, but it's like you in order to have like a healthy forest, you actually want like natural forest fires to occur in like in isolated like you just want it to sort of naturally counterintuitively you want the, the forest to burn down occasionally yeah Where, whereas like if you if you um like artificially protect this forest for decades you're building like a bomb basically and then once it does blow up then it like burns the topsoil and then like you nothing grows so yeah. so i think i think brilo's perspective is that like you do want destruction um to, to some degree. And then like, you know, like the extremes would be like, just let, let it totally burn down and we'll rebuild from the beginning. And then the other extreme is like, well, let's like, let's not have a recession at all. And so like, yeah, like, I think that the, I don't know, I think that you gotta have, you gotta have both. Yeah. I mean, so in terms of like Bitcoin, like this doesn't make me any less bullish on Bitcoin. This, this, in fact, this actually reinforces what I was saying a, a couple episodes ago, which is that like, I think of Bitcoin as like the way I think about the second amendment or like nuclear weapons. Although the second amendment one may be falling through the, uh, that's a different discussion. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah. And, and that like, it's like, I think that Bitcoin, um, this, this, this idea that Bitcoin will become the global reserve currency and like, will be the end all be all money. I think is a bit of a pipe dream. Although I do think over, you know, if you ask me what happens 500 years from now, I would say Bitcoin is the most likely outcome. Um, but in our lifetime, like, um, no, but it, it, it needs to be much, much bigger than it is today in order for it to really fix a lot of these problems. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Where do you want to go? I, well, I, well, I do have, there's one other, um, I mean, this is kind of a, a uh, whatever you want to call it, like I'm going a different direction, whatever that word is. Um, I was thinking about it. What do you think about like Bitcoiners creating almost their own niche economy where you try to, 
pretty much you try to get goods and services from other Bitcoiners. And I guess the problem is maybe they're not local. So you can't get obviously all of your goods and services. But I was just kind of thinking it through. I was, the idea came to me. I was on I was on a walk and I was like, almost think about it as like a marketplace, an online marketplace where you know that, you know, it's like a Bitcoin only marketplace of goods and services. So think through maybe like an Etsy. It's kind of like an Etsy type thing, maybe. But then also, you know, things that you can order, pay for with Bitcoin. But then also like think about services like what I do, right? You need your taxes done. Okay, you can go. That's not location specific. So you can go onto this marketplace. Like, do you think that there's ever, I guess the broader question is, and it does tie back, but do you think there's ever a possibility that we almost just have our own side economy of Bitcoiners that just, they've decided that they want to transact and save, like save slash transact in Bitcoin and let the fiat system, like use the fiat system when they absolutely have to, but operate in this other system when, when they can't just, maybe it's because they think Bitcoin's more, more of a moral money, or they just, you know, they just want to grow the adoption and maybe it's a fun little project. Like, do you see, do you see any legs on that idea at all? I think that's an interesting idea. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that there's uh, almost definitely growth in that idea. Now, in terms of like how, how much growth, that's where I would, we, we could, uh, we could talk about, I mean, I think, yeah, generally in the future, there's going to be more, more people accepting Bitcoin as payment in the future. Um, that's, Cause it would be nice to be able to find, like, I think more than anything, it would just be a fun, it'd be a fun kind of like project that I'm sure you could get, you know, most of Bitcoin Twitter to participate in like, you know, even if you're just like, even if all, I don't know, you were able to like easily buy someone a gift in Bitcoin and maybe it's a little, I don't know, maybe it's a bracelet or it's something to put up on their wall. Um, and, you know, when you give it to them, you can be like, I bought this with Bitcoin or you maybe not even say it. You just know in your own head, you're like, I'm actually participating in a market that is transparent. And I mean, like we, like I learned with Romeo, which, you know, uh, the interview that I did with um, Romeo from El Salvador, it's like Bitcoin you can do with the fee, you know, the fees to the transaction fees to, to pay with Bitcoin. Maybe that doesn't matter to us as Americans because we don't even really see the 3% credit card fee that employer or uh, businesses have to pay. So that doesn't even affect us. But for people outside the United States in developing countries, like the transaction fee, this is what I learned, huge. And so even if you just use the Bitcoin marketplace so that you can, instead of paying 6% um, or 8%, I think actually he said 8% is what he has to pay um, for a lot of things uh, if he uses US dollar in El Salvador versus literally only having, to, and maybe that's sending it, maybe that's sending and receiving from like a Western Union type. But all I'd say, I think it'd be fun, maybe a fun little project. So yeah, but I, well, I don't know who's, who's down to build it. <laughs> there's certainly a community there because you're you're kind of seeing the community angle of this, and I agree. Like, you could definitely build a community brand of like Bitcoiners, you know, like a global Bitcoiner marketplace. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, um, but I I want to say one more thing. Yeah. Uh, at some point, we're going to talk about stable coins over Bitcoin, Lightning. Um, we're not going to do that in this episode. But I think that that is where, if I'm really thinking big here, then what you just described with like this marketplace is actually more, um, I think that the stable coins over lightning is more influential than sending Bitcoin. Like ultimately, yeah. I think Bitcoin is a store of value. And I think that dollars are a medium, medium of exchange, in, uh, in, at least for the foreseeable future. Like, yeah. I can get behind that. I think I can, I can get behind that and then also using Bitcoin as a medium of exchange as long as I'm getting a discount. If I'm getting it, because if, you know, if we're all transacting in Bitcoin, I'm assuming we're all bullish on the price action of Bitcoin on, in the long term. And so if I'm going to pay you Bitcoin today, I expect to get some, some discount. 
so that I'm not paying as much as the US dollar because I'm essentially giving you an appreciating asset or at least what I believe to be one, right? And then, but the benefit for the benefit for the people on the other side of the transaction, the people who are actually producing goods and services is one, they're not having to pay that, they're not having to pay the 3% credit card processing fee, which as someone who has to pay that, because a lot of my clients pay me with their credit card, mm. it sucks, especially yeah. when it's a big, when it's a big number, there's no cap. You know, if it's, Dang. yeah, there's no nice. cap. So if someone pays me $10,000 using a credit card, 300 of that 300 is bucks. gone. Yeah. So one, you get that benefit. That's a big right? tax. I mean, that's a substantial it's a huge, tax. It's a huge tax. And then, so you take away that 300, I mean, just, just use 10,000 first second. Um, take away the 300. So now you're left with $9,700. And then the government's going to go go in and take their cut as well, Right. And, and that's fine, whatever, but we can eat and like literally <laughs> Visa and MasterCard, I mean, we, this, this could be a whole episode, right? But like, they aren't doing anything. Everything is automated. Their margins are insane. And I'll pretty much, I will say 95% of the world, um, you know, goods and services purchases runs through, maybe it's not 95, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a good chunk. Consumer goods. Yeah. Right, right. That's what I mean. Yeah. And so anyways, that's one benefit uh, is that the, is if I'm selling my goods or services over something that someone can pay me with stable coin or Bitcoin, whatever, I'm saving that money and compound that over, you know, even 10 years. That's insane. Um, yeah. And, and then the other big piece, if you're worried about this is you're getting, you're getting, um, you give the opportunity to get KYC free, um, Bitcoin, if you want, if you want to do that, like that's, that's one of the main reasons for me wanting to, um, wanting to sell services in exchange for Bitcoin. Um, it's because no one knows that I own that Bitcoin mm -hmm. if they're paying it to me in a wallet, that's not KYC, obviously. So, um, so I don't know, that was just something I wanted to like kind of throw out there. Cause as I was listening to the conversation, it was like, we almost need like a sandbox of trying, trying out the, the elastic, you know, the elasticity of like fiat based um, currency along with, and maybe that's tied to a stable coin along with the store of value Bitcoin and, and, and put it into a marketplace where people can kind of play around and, and see and go around and shop. You can shop for like, say someone's using, a CPA, like I'll just use myself for an example. Say someone's using a CPA that, you know, it's not Bitcoin focused at all. And they're like, I really want to support a CPA who is, um, who is taking Bitcoin, who's growing this, pretty much growing this whole trend. Okay, I'm going to go onto this marketplace and see if I can find one, right? Um, you could do the same with an attorney. You could do, you could even try it. And, and I think there could be a toggle of like, try to search by location, right? If you want to find a real estate agent who, um, who is helping people exchange their homes for Bitcoin or for stable coins backed by Bitcoin. Like, I just think it's a, it's an interesting thing, but obviously it's a big project. It's not like, it's not Crypt something we're going <laughs> to crypto marketplace. Well, they, they say that they say that marketplaces are the worst businesses because you have two sided customers well, i don't even know if this is a i don't even think i call this a business i think this is this should be a utility i think it is a public mm. just a public utility that i mean you could make it donation based i think and i think that you'd actually have a lot of good traction there where you can say you know here's the bitcoin address if you want to donate to this cause i mean at the end of the day this is we're not doing this for more money we're doing this to grow to grow an idea into a and to pretty much connect bitcoiners who need a good or service with bitcoiners who have that the ability to produce the good or service um so anyways interesting we'll see yeah we'll see where it goes i just wanted to throw that out there i don't think i'd uh i mean that's brand new i think that's within the week so i like um, i like the thought i like the thought yeah okay well this was a whirlwind of an episode. Hopefully <laughs> people got something from it. I don't even know. Maybe. Yeah, no, I think it was a great introduction. I think, 
I think it's, um, it's a, it's a deep dive and, um, it's the hardest part about trying to explain it is there, even for someone like Jeff, who studied it for so long, he admits on the, on the podcast that like, he still learns new stuff about it all the time. See the, the, <laughs> and yeah. this dude's like 50. I mean, he's old or, you know, he's older. <laughs> Sorry. I, I always have to be careful. <laughs> um, that's funny. The, um, See, the, the dangerous thing about this conversation is that it, it kind of like you get, you're like, it, it's kind of like a throw your hands up in the air type of moment, moment where you're like, you're like, well, if this is the thing that's controlling the world and I can't even figure it out, like, I just don't even care anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I hope, <laughs> like, I don't want people to feel that way. Um, because like, yeah, I mean, just continue the pursuit of truth. That's what I say. Yeah. And I think, I think at the end of the day, Bitcoin is the optimistic route. You can, you can like stay in being upset about how this all came about and how the powers that be have pretty much created systems that benefit them and their families for generations. You can be really upset about that, but like only, only stay there for like a moment and then move to what can I do to improve my situation. And I think, you know, it comes down to on an individual basis, it is saving, saving money. So making sure your, your expenses are much less than your income and, and then investing that money in a diversified portfolio. Right. And, and whatever that means for you, obviously that's a, that's a individual by individual thing, but I just, what I'm trying to do, and I mentioned this off air with Kindle is trying to be more optimistic. And I, I am very like, the reason I'm so into Bitcoin is because I'm optimistic about the future that that um, could, you know, slash will provide, right? No matter what happens, I think there will be opportunities to essentially create your own side marketplace. Even if it's just me connecting with people on Twitter and being like, okay, so what do you do or what do you sell? Okay, yeah, I, I haven't. I, either I'll keep it in mind if I ever need that, or oh yeah, I need that. Um, let me let me send you some stats for that. So, anyways, yeah, we um <clears throat> we chose a difficult time to start a podcast. I'll say that, <laughs> but that's you know, in my opinion, that's when the best. That's when the best. Uh, Long term, if you if you can if you can endure through see the problem is we started a podcast like the start of a of a recession basically about finance finance. <laughs> oh man, how dumb. What are you talking um, about, Kendall? We're not in a recession. Um <laughs> but see, like the that's that's when the that's when the if you if 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 you can endure downturns, that's when the best uh that's long term, that's when the best things come about. So yeah, I don't know. Sorry to not be so optimistic all the time, but you know, I can only I can always speak the truth. That's what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. I love it. All right. Cool. See you next time.